special broadcast, of course, from the 54th National Conference of the African National Congress. Well, some developing news in the last little while. You heard in the EWN Bulletin and just before that the announcement from Gwede Mantasha, the outgoing Secretary-General. Essentially, the conference will start at 2 o'clock and the National Executive Committee has resolved that after yesterday's court decisions involving three provinces, the Provincial Executive Committees of the Free State and KwaZulu-Natal will not be voting. That's 27 delegates apiece. And then also uh, 38 branches in the region of Bojanalo, that's in the northwest, in the ANC's northwest province. They will not be voting either because of court rulings there. To discuss it all with me, Professor Richard Calland and, of course, the political analyst Karima Brown. Uh, Prof, let's just start with you very quickly. Uh, the court cases, the ANC really had no choice, legally speaking. They had to throw those, those delegates out. Well, I think uh, that's probably right, although one wonders whether um, they might have taken a different line or a different position if the political impact of excluding those delegates, 280 of them plus minus, probably most of them on the NDCZ side, um, in a tight election, that's not good news for her. What one saw, I think, today in that press conference was a Secretary General very much on top of his game. Mm, mm. Someone in control of a, a ship that some people say is rocky. Mm. I think he's, he's playing a blinder, to use a sporting term. Yes. I mean, Karima Brown, you've been following this, you know, closer than I think anyone else. Um, would you agree with that? Greta Mantashe is emerging as one of the central figures of what's been happening. You know, this morning, uh, Stephen, he said um, to a question, he answered to a question, what is on the agenda of the special NEC mm. meeting? He said, there isn't an agenda. The court has ruled we must comply. Mm. Um, so compliance is exactly this. And what we've seen, of course, is the word that he's used. No contaminated branch will be allowed to vote. Mm. That's emphatic. Mm. Uh, that's decisive. I think what for me is really actually interesting uh, is the fact that um, the consequences of ruling out two strong uh, pro-NDZ uh, PECs, uh, Free State and uh, KwaZulu-Natal, uh, you know, there is no NEC whilst conference sits, right, mm. legally. So there's a steering committee. But the steering committee has subcommittees, and each province sends people there. And they normally send their secretaries. KwaZulu-Natal doesn't have a secretary, mm. legally speaking, and neither does the free state. KZN's lost its Zuma. Precisely. So they don't have the ability to shepherd some of their processes. That's a tactical, uh, you know, error, and it's a weakness on their part. The other thing that is really important, uh, Stephen, is that... Um, my reading of this press conference is that Gwede Mantash was saying when they come to conference, the credentials battle would have been won already yes. because that is what is actually happening right now at UJ. The conference uh, you know, decisions uh, or who possibly could win this conference is being hammered out at that registration uh, venue. I think that is the most critical takeout for me from this press conference. Alright, we're talking about what's happened at the ANC's conference special broadcast on 7 I have some rust. I don't have any gravy. I realise it's a... <laughs> would you like a rust Richard? I thought we were moving on from gravy. Oh. I thought it was an omer Rusk. If it was, I was going to say no. Well, they're both taking I'm, the Tim Noakes approach. I'm not sure I can talk sense to you, Stephen, and eat a Rusk. That's, <laughs> well, that's well beyond my capabilities. It's a test. Yeah. Okay, um, Richard, one of the things that's interesting is that if this had happened, say, three years ago, 
you would think that it wouldn't happen if Zuma didn't want it to happen. The NEC, in my view, has changed. And what's interesting about this is that five years ago, after Mangung, so just five, literally five years ago, and it's happened quite astonishingly quickly, the NEC was almost all pro-Zuma, 80%, we thought, pro-Zuma. Over time, that balance of power has really shifted, partly just because he's on his way out, and that's what happens, but also you see people moving against, making decisions that I think wouldn't have been made three years ago. Well, I think Karim has made the point emphatically already, which is absolutely right, that the NEC's life is virtually over. In mm. fact, the moment, as I understand, the conference starts, that's the, the NEC no longer exists. So the most powerful uh, mm. committee in the country, in all respects, mm. suddenly, literally, mm. ends overnight. Its power evaporates. Now, the smarter members of those, uh, that committee who can see that moment approaching and who can think beyond the end of their nose and have some concern about their political futures would be starting to tilt towards what they might regard to be the winning side. Um, the other point, again, Karima, just to emphasise it, the credentials thing, two months ago, perhaps young, mm. longer, the SG and his team said, we've got to have credentials separated out from the conference. We can't yes. have a massive bun fight at the start of conference about credentials. It could be very, very messy. And that's why there's this physical as well as, as procedural separation between the credentials and the actual uh, conference. The credentials for the average listener is about who can actually turn up and vote. Mm. It's about the electorate. So it's t terribly important, of course. So, Karima, then, if at every step of the way the NEC would have had to agree to all of this, why couldn't Zuma stop it six months ago? Look, I think, like uh, Richard says, you know, the uh, purposes for which an NEC exists uh, effectively has uh, changed. Um, mm. The lifeblood of the organization between conferences is a national executive committee. Uh, we are now at conference. So, uh, essentially, you are in a completely different ball game. But I think the other point that I also want to make is that Esma Khashule, um, uh, Sihle Zigalala are in an NEC that decides that they are illegal. They are actually illegal leaders of the ANC in their provinces. That's a powerful thing. And of course, the knock-on effect of that, uh, you know, people smell when you lose power or when you gain it. Um, and of course, it has a, a, a kind of organic momentum. Uh, and some of that is happening. But l let me uh, warn also that we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves, there is a pitch battle that is happening at UJ. Every single vote does count because here's the thing, Stephen. We might have a lot of NDZ branches uh, disqualified, but we have branches and we have super branches. And it's important to make that distinction because um, not each branch have the same amount of delegates. As you know, the ANC's minimum requirement is that you must have 100 members. If you have 100 members and you've correlated, which means that 50 plus one met, then you get to have your delegate. But if you have after that 100, um, 250 members, then you get an extra delegate. Mm. Now, of course, uh, some of the super branches are, in fact, uh, in the provinces where Nkosazana uh, Dlamini Zuma is very strong. And the verification process of that is very, very important. Um, and so... It's a, it's a cool advantage to have a very big branch because you get a lot of delegates. But here's the catch in terms of the NC constitution. If you have a, a, a 2,000 members, um, then you're going to get a lot of, mm. uh, you know, uh, uh, delegates, provided that 1,000 plus one gathered yes. um, was duly constituted. Um, 
uh, was able to choose their candidates um, according to the prescripts of the, uh, the, the Constitution of the African National Congress. Um, and more importantly, that the signatures on the registration mm. actually matches, you know, the actual people. Now, yesterday when the uh, Free State uh, case was handed down, you saw how uh, the judge actually made mention of how the register didn't match with the other mm. paperwork. And that's, of course, the built-in mechanism mm. that the Secretary General and the Audit Committee have to make sure that you say uh, you are who you are. And then, of course, that gets matched with the actual person that rocks up. And then there's reasons for missing a conference. And then there's sub-delegates as well. So you can miss this conference if you've had a death in the family mm. of your spouse, if you have a doctor's certificate. But you can't just not attend because mm. you don't feel like it. And then there's a second layer of people that have also been duly elected that's meant to replace you. And the reason why this is so critical is because, A, it's a secret vote. So no matter what the province might have pronounced, when the delegates get here, they have autonomy. They vote the way they want to vote, and no one can penalize them for it. So the management of each individual is absolutely critical. So yes, the NDZ uh, faction have lost a lot of branches, but we don't know how many of those are super branches or not. Uh, and that is going to give you a better or a more accurate um, tally in terms of real people and actual delegates. We're back to the, the whole idea of the, of the secret, ba- secret ballot within this. I mean, I've seen plenty of, of commentary pieces about it, and I think they must all be correct. If you represent a constituency, you should not vote in secret. Uh, Prof, would you agree with that? I mean, this is, this is the strange thing is that you represent a branch. The branch gives you a, a, a mandate. You're allowed to change your view on that, but you should explain to the branch why you have. That's right. I mean, I sorry to bring myself into mm. this, but before I came to this country in 1994, I was a fairly active member of the, of the British Labour Party. Mm. And I went to a couple of conferences as the representative of uh, Lewisham East in South London. And uh, it was an open process. Mm. So I had to vote openly and I had to respect the mandate I'd been given by Lewisham East. Otherwise, my gosh, they would have thrown me out of the Labour Party quicker than you can say Jeremy Corbyn. So, you know, that, that's, that, that was the, the value of an open mandate and voting because then I had to honour it because I wasn't there wearing the hat of Richard Calland. I was representing the, the constituency Labour Party from part of South London. Here, it's rather different because you can turn up and you can be persuaded, inverted commas, or um, otherwise induced to switch your vote, and you can do so freely because mm. no one has any recourse to check how you voted. It's a secret ballot. Mm. That, that could work in two ways. It could allow dishonourable people to switch their, their vote uh, according to some inappropriate uh, purpose or in service of some inappropriate purpose, or it could protect them from bribery and mm. inducement mm. and intimidation mm. because the briber will never be able mm. to hold mm. the bribee to account. Mm. So in this context, it could bo- work in, in both directions. Or you could take money from both sides, of course. I, I wouldn't like to suggest that, of course. But, but, or you can yes, just take right. the money and vote whichever way you yes. want yes. anyway. Exactly. Yes. You're with 702 Special Broadcast. I realise that the coolest man on radio, Kenny Maestri, is sitting in his studio thinking, why did he bother? But uh, he will take over at some point. Uh, this is a special broadcast from the ANC's 54th conference 
uh, Karima Brown and uh, Professor Richard Callan joining myself, Stephen Curtis. Now, I would say in a makeshift studio, but it's far better than that. It's right next to the main press conference area. If you've been watching it, and I know many people will be listening to 702 while watching the TV screens, um, and you'll see that uh, we're right next to the press conference area. A couple of developments that have happened, all announced in the last uh, 40 minutes or so. Uh, Gwede Mantasha, the Secretary-General of the ANC, announcing that uh, the Provincial Executive Committees of the Free State and KwaZulu-Natal will not be voting delegates here, and the Bojanalo District, the region in the northwest, also delegates coming from there. 38 branches, we understand, won't be voting as well. All of them thought to be on the in Kosazana Dlamini Zuma side. The other development this morning, though, is the announcement by the presidency around further steps towards free education. It's not quite free higher education. It's very close to it. Karima Brown, I mean... I can't... I mean, the, the cynicism of this is breathtaking. You've got people actually getting ready to vote, and suddenly out comes this statement from the president. On a Saturday morning, Nochal? I think for me, you know, it is probably one of the most cynical moves that I've seen President Jacob Zuma pull, and he's pulled some very cynical ones. Um, I think what he's done is two things. He's upended both candidates um, who are of course trying to uh, take over this organization from him. And everybody's looking to them from the investor community to poor communities, uh, constituencies for some kind of policy certainty uh, one way or the other. And here you have a unilateral position uh, just being announced. Uh, and of course, uh, this off the back of the fact that um, uh, less than uh, three months ago, the president reshuffled his higher education minister uh, and at the time that he did so, he didn't bother to share the Hero Commission report uh, on free higher education with that very mm. same minister. And of course, that, that was just incredible. I mean, that really is insane. Yes, and then of course there were rumours that Mr. Masuta, uh, who got an audience with the ANC's top leaders, who was romantically linked, although the presidency denied it, to the daughter of uh, the incumbent and the hopeful here at this conference, um, is apparently you know the brain behind this. Mm. This policy. Um, I felt really sorry for Finance Minister Malusi Gigaba this morning as he was addressing people in the Progressive Business uh, Lounge because the president also upended him and stole his thunder. We are 50 billion rand short uh, in terms of tax revenues. Um, and of course, until the president shows us where the money is going to come from, I think this is raising expectations of young people who deservedly need to have access to education. It's raising their expectations to dangerous levels. It is setting South Africa up for a self-induced crisis. It is a terrible, terrible manipulation of the deep, deep inequalities that exist in our society. So it raises the temperature. Prof, does it change the dial on the outcome of this leadership election? Uh, it's difficult to read. I agree with everything Karima said about what a reckless and, and uh, irresponsible mm. and thoroughly indefensible um, it, uh, announcement it was to make today, not least for its timing. Um, how it plays out in the conference, difficult to read, but I would think delegates who, after all, not just here to elect uh, new leadership, but also to make some choices around future policy, um, and cognizant, I'm sure all of them, of the, of the tight fiscal space and crunch that the government faces, uh, and with the Minister of Finance, Gagaba, mm -hmm. holding a, a, a press conference or a, making a speech... I don't feel sorry for him at all. Uh, well, I, find my, I, I do, because any Minister of Finance, to be upended, to use mm -hmm. Karima's phrase, by your own boss mm -hmm. as you're speaking, is, is 
you know, we can all relate mm. to that, mm. how inappropriate that is and how dangerous it is. Of course it is. I think there might be a backlash. I, I, I don't really understand why, why yes. Zuma did it, and I can't see what, what, mm. how it, how it, what the play is in terms of the, the delegates and how they vote. It goes back to a much bigger dynamic that's been playing out through the year, is that this campaign looks like a campaign for hearts and minds. People go around the country, you know, kissing babies, or in, in Kozazana Dlamini Zuma's case, spend most of their time in KwaZulu-Natal and pop up to the Free State every now and then. Um, but actually, it's never been about that at all. It's about control of party structures, isn't it? And that means, that then makes me wonder, back to your point, why do this? Well, I suppose that's right. The, as we said earlier, the National Executive Committee, which whose life is just ending now, is, in my view, the most powerful body in the country because it's the, the main repository of power within the ANC, constitutionally speaking, and it decides the course of, of action for the ANC, and it has the power, of course, to guide and direct the representatives of the ANC in Parliament, which crucially means that they then can be ordered to remove a sitting president, as they did with Thabo Mbeki back in uh, 2008. That's a great power that they have. Mm. Zuma, one of the reasons Mbeki lost, in my view, was because he lost touch with that, and he was mm. so preoccupied with the, uh, for good reason, running the country as the President of the Republic, that he lost touch with the ANC, and ultimately that, that bit him very hard in the bottom. Mm. Zuma would never make that mistake. Yes. He, he, over ten years, remained firmly attached to and, and closely allied with key parts of the ANC, and that's enabled him to exercise real power as the President of the ANC. However, that, that period of, of power is about mm. to end as well. Mm. And, the, you know, my soundbite on that has been that Zuma's power as a politician, as a political leader, will go down by between 70 and 80 percent, to put a number yes. on it, the moment he ceases to be president yes. in the next couple yes. of days. 26 minutes after 11. We'll take your calls. 011-883-0702 is the number to dial. Calls for the panel. We're speaking to Karima Brown, Professor Richard Callan. There'll be a special news bulletin at 11.30 as well. And after that, Ranjani Monsami from the Tiso Blackstar Group uh, will join us. So plenty coming up on this sort of thing. Um, you talk about education, Karima, you talk about raising expectations, you talk about, you know, sort of almost using our inequality, inequality quite cynically. There's been a little bit of that in this campaign all through the year. I mean, the, the, the criticism of Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma would be that radical economic change is actually being used cynically, but her defense would be, well, if it's not time to change things now, when is it time? No, I think they, they, they're absolutely right. It is time for change. We can't have uh, the majority of black South Africans locked out of the economy. We can't have uh, stubborn uh, and systemic inequality uh, continuing. We can't have a stagnant economy. We can't have jobless growth. Uh, so that's, that's all correct. Uh, but the ANC didn't assume power yesterday. It yeah. did so 23 years ago. And she was part um, of that cabinet. She was part of that cabinet, and so was Cyril Ramaphosa. And, and that's, here's the rub, uh, 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 Stephen. I think when we talk about what uh, kind of society we find ourselves in, um, for me, the best way to look at uh, how we've been able to uh, get buy-in on things that are really difficult is the time it took to negotiate the national minimum wage. Now, there you had an example of a social compact. Uh, you had a really, really difficult, long process, and that uh, process, of course, was announced uh, just uh, at, the, at the beginning of uh, the State of the Nation address. But that uh, meant that you needed to bring social partners together, business, labor, a whole range of people. There's a whole range of things that are still, um, you know, not completely uh, sorted, but that's the time it takes in a society like ours, mm. where people have to put themselves in each other's shoes to get agreement and to get buy-in uh, to make things work. Um, 
these students have been putting forward proposals for free higher education. Uh, the universities have begged the president to make his findings available because they needed to look at their fee structure. They announced it recently because he just ignored them. So if you are genuine about putting uh, free education uh, for poor people on the agenda, what you do is you do what you do with every other difficult thing in society. You gather society uh, and you negotiate and you put it together and you put political will. You don't unilaterally decree uh, something. Uh, what is going to happen to the kid that comes from Tofimbaba and rocks up at Vits, uh, with an A uh, uh, symbol from a trick and say, but I'm here for my free education. Mm. Well, what is Vits going to do with that student? Yeah. Uh, what is going to happen is that um, President Zuma's police is going to um, become heavy-handed the way they did during the student protests. Uh, they're going to arrest people and put them uh, in a jail without bail the mm. way they did the student mm. leadership. And then what you have is a self-induced crisis mm. because this is not just about um, political will because if there was political will, President Zuma had to convince the critics of this policy that it's the correct policy mm. uh, and he had to get buy-in for that. He, he hasn't done that, Stephen. Mm. And he is effectively um, enabling a situation where you could even see the destruction of the infrastructure around mm. higher education if this thing isn't managed properly. All right, well, Karima Brown. Professor Richard Callan, are you going to make a prediction yet? Yes, no? On, on what? The outcome the of outcome the, the uh, current test match in Perth? <laughs> uh, England are going to lose, I think. <laughs> I don't need you to tell me that. Uh, <laughs> Professor Richard Callan, thank you so much. Karima Brown, as always, thank you.